Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Esther was made queen of Persia, and a circumstance arose in her life. Her, her uncle Mordecai, her cousin, um, came and, and recommended to her to go to the king to make an appeal on behalf of her people. Her people were uh, set aside to be destroyed because of the plot of a man named Haman. And so Mordecai said, maybe God has raised you up for such a time as this. And Esther chose to trust God, and she went to her husband, the king, even though it was at risk of her very life, because if he didn't extend the scepter, she would have been killed. She trusted God, and she put God first in her life. We need to trust God in the circumstances of our lives. More than our own wisdom or our own resources, more than the resources or wisdom of others, we need to trust God first and foremost in our lives uh, because we walk by faith and not by sight. And when we trust God, God is always faithful. Um, The scripture in chapter 30 is a, a dark time Initially in David's life, he has gone to Ziklag and has been living with the Philistines. And he has done this outside of God's will. God had earlier told him to go back to the land of Judah and to live there. But he left the land of Judah because of pressure from Saul and because he felt like he was in danger. And so now he finds himself in Philistia coming back to Ziklag, and he finds out that the Amalekites have come into the city and have destroyed the city and burned it with fire and have taken all their possessions, all their wives and their kids, and has taken them into captivity, and the men just begin to weep. And they're just weeping. As a matter of fact, till they don't have any energy left to weep. You've probably been there at one time or another in your life where you wept in that way. But uh, finally, David goes to the Lord, and this is the first recorded time he goes to the Lord since the time he left Judah. And he says, Lord, should I go up after these men? Will you help me to overtake them? And he says, yes, you will overtake them, and you will deliver them. And so David gathers the men together, and he and the men go down, 600 of them go down, Uh, 200 are left behind at the river because they're too worn out to go. And the other 400 go under David's leadership and in the power of God's hand. And every single thing is recovered. And every single person is brought back plus. God bless us. That's the grace of God. Here David is outside the will of God. Not living where God told him to live, fearing men more than fearing God. And yet when David comes in his brokenness to God, God receives him and helps him and answers his prayer. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Um, Not only were David's possessions restored, but God was working uh, to enable him to give back to the people of Judah. Uh, so David 
once again turned to the Lord and trusted God in his time of need. Sometimes we go through those sessions of time where we forget to trust God. And we begin to live in worry and we're distressed and we're uh, anxious about life and we're struggling with life and we forget to go to God in prayer. But what a wonderful thing when we draw aside and we find comfort and strength in the Lord. Uh, David's men were so angry when they first saw the destroyed city that they were talking about stoning him. But the Bible says that David strengthened himself in his God. I want to tell you something. No matter what you're going through, you can find strength uh, in a relationship with the Lord, seeking him. So we need to trust God more than other people, more than a geographical location. We need to trust God above all others and all other things in our lives. The time of my message is choosing to trust God. Look with me at verse 1 of Samuel 30, 1 Samuel 30. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned down Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the oldest. They had killed no one but had carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned down. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with them wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in a difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him. For they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him. And David asked the Lord, Should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? The Lord replied to him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. David and the 600 men went with him as far as the Wadi Basor, where 200 men were to remain behind, uh, would stop. They stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Basor. David and 400 of the men continued in the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They gave him some pressed figs and two clusters of raisins. After he ate, he revived, for he hadn't eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, Who do you belong to? Where are you from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the Carathites, the territory of Judah, and the south country of Caleb, and we burned down Ziklag. David then asked him, Will you lead me to these raiders? He said, Swear to me by God that you won't kill me or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led them. And there were the Amalekites spread out over the entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped except 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest 
including the sons and daughters of all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the sheep and cattle which were driven ahead of the other livestock, and the people shouted, This is David's plunder. When David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him and had been at the Wadi Besor, they came out to meet him and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued. Because they didn't go with us, we will not give any of the plunder we recovered to them except for the man's wife and his children. They may take them and go. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given to us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same of the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will all share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and ordinance for Israel. And it continues to this very day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is the gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent the gifts to those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev. And in Jatter, to those in Aror, Sifmoth, and in Eshtemoa, <clears throat> to those in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeromalites, and in the town of the Kenites, to those in Hormah, and Bor Ashan, and in Athok, to those in Hebron, and to those in all the places where David and his men had roamed. Choosing to trust in God, in, in, in what ways, in what areas should we choose to trust God? We need to choose to trust God with our security. It's the first thing, our security. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned down Ziklag, verse 1 says. Now, why did this happen? David should never have been in Ziklag. He was trusting in the Philistines for his security rather than God. He was trusting in a geographical area to protect him from Saul. I want to tell you something. When when God is with you, nobody can be against you. But if God is disciplining you, there's nobody that can protect you. You see, David had made a choice to disobey God. You need to trust God with your security in your life. I need to trust him with our security. Now, people spend a lot of time on security, right? Some of you may have security systems in your house. You uh, pay a monthly fee, and, and they watch out over your house, and they call 911 if somebody breaks in, and uh, they take care of the security at your home. Others of you may have weapons that you carry or that you have in your home. Uh, Some of you may have learned martial arts or some kind of fighting style uh, for your protection. All of these things are fine and good, but the fact of the matter is, God is our ultimate security. And it is not where you live that provides security. It is not what you have that provides security. It is not your own resources that provide security or even your own strength. Guess what? You can shoot a gun. I bet there's somebody who can shoot it better than you can. You can fight. I bet there's somebody who can fight better than you can. 
You got a security system, there's probably a criminal smart enough to defeat it. But if you got Jesus Christ on your side, I'm going to tell you something, there's nobody that can defeat him. He is our security. I had a little widow lady in my church in, in Texas, and uh, I was talking about how God protects us. And she came up to me after the service, and she said, Preacher, I just want to share with you how God has protected me. And she said she was living, she lived in a little trailer, and she said, I was, I was worried because I heard these men come up, and they were fiddling with my door trying to get in. And she said, I didn't know what to do. I, you know, I couldn't stop them myself. And, and so she said, I just got down on my knees and I prayed, God, would you protect me? Would you send these men away? And she said, I can't explain it, but they just took off and I heard, I heard them running off. Can I tell you something? The prayers of a widow lady can be more effective than a 357 Magnum. God is able to provide us with security. I believe with all my heart, had David stayed in Judah, God would have protected him from Saul. Every time Saul tried to come against David, God protected him. Every single time. One time he's on one side of the hill and David's on the other, they're running around the hill. You ever do that with your brother or sister? You know, one of you gets the other one mad and, and there's a chase going on through the house and you're running around the seat, you know, like this. Well, that's what David was doing. But even in that situation, God protected him. But you see, when David began to say, okay, I can't, Saul's going to get me one of these days. You see, his faith in God began to slip. And he said, I'm going to get out of here. This is too dangerous. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines. What he did is he didn't recognize that God was his security. And so he finds this situation. But look, look at verses 9 and 10. David takes 600 men with him in verse 9. In verse 10, they stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Basur. 200 men of them stopped. So David and the 400 men continued in pursuit. So you think, well, David's got a whole lot against him. The Malachites have destroyed his city. They're emotionally exhausted. They're pursuing these men. 200, that's one-third of David's men, are too exhausted to go past the Wadi Besor. So they stay there. You think, boy, I'm not rooting for David too much. I don't think his chances are very good. But he goes and just so happens to find an Egyptian. Isn't it interesting how God works? His Amalekite master says, hey, this guy's useless to me. He's been sick for three days. I'm just leaving him. And so they left him. No food, re- water, resources, or anything. Just left him out there to starve to death. And uh, David and his men happen upon this Egyptian that I believe was placed there by God. They feed him and he revives. And David says, hey, will you take me down to where they're camped? And he says, yeah, I'll do it if you don't kill me or turn me over to them. And, uh, and so David promises, and he takes him down and shows him where the Amalekites are. And David and his men attack. And, but you see, here's the thing. God is with them. And because God is with them, they defeat the Amalekites. And isn't it interesting? Look at how many people get away. Uh, verse 17 None of them escaped except 400 young men. 
who got on camels and fled. Now, think about this for a second. How many men does David have? 400. That must have been a big crowd of Amalekites. If you talk about it in terms of none of them escaped, well, except 400. Right? So David comes up against them with 400 men. He's, he's outnumbered and totally outclassed in terms of, of resources. They've got every bit of resource that David had. And yet David and his 400 men go and defeat these men. How? God was their security. I'm told that uh, Stonewall Jackson was a man of faith. And uh, I was reading a story one day about the fact that before he would go out to battle, he would pray that God would keep him safe. And, and he believed that God was his security in battle. And so he was completely fearless. People used to talk about it. He was a wildcat. He'd go into battle, and he wasn't scared of anybody or anything. He'd run through the bullets. They're you know, whizzing past his head. And he has this uncanny boldness because he believes that God is with him. That's the security of the Lord. You see, when you have God with you and he is your security, there's nothing you can't do and there's no problem you can't overcome. You say, well, don't Christians suffer? Absolutely. There are times when Christians suffer. There are times when the wicked persecute the righteous. The scripture talks about that. But can I tell you something? If you're a child of God, even that ends up being a blessing for you because it doesn't happen, first of all, without God's permission. But secondly, if it does happen, God will use it to to put treasure in heaven for you. Remember what Jesus said, rejoice. When men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. For great is your reward in heaven. So God is sovereign. Trust him with your security. Trust him with the danger in your life and the worry in your life. And recognize that he is your resource. So choosing to trust God. What areas do we need to trust him? Trust him for your security. We need to trust him for our family, our family, our security and our family. Look at verse 2. They also kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the oldest. They had killed no one, but had carried them off as they went on their way. So, David's wives, daughters, sons as well as all of his men's, have been taken captive. But look at verses 18 and 19. The second part of verse 18. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters. God protected his family and restored them to him. God is in charge of our families. I was listening to uh, the testimony of a lady in New York City. It's actually on a a Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, record. But they were sharing, she was sharing about how her niece had been taken uh, captive, had been kidnapped. And how uh, she brought that as a request in in their prayer service that night. They began to intercede for her niece and 
you know the statistics. If, if you're missing for so long, they say, well, there's not much chance that you've, you've made it. Well, she'd been gone for several days, but after the prayer meeting of God's people, her captors released her, and she wasn't even scratched. She had no harm. I want to tell you something. God is able to protect our families. Do you believe that? God can protect your family in a godless society. He can protect them from the philosophies of the wicked. He can protect you from making stupid choices. I think there have been times where I have been protected in that way. I had a praying mother. There's a lot more mischief I wanted to get into as a little boy, but uh, I think I was probably prayed out of it by my mother. Uh, Godly, godly lady. Uh, God is able to protect our families. Listen, intercede for your children. Intercede for your spouse. Pray for them because God can intervene in the circumstances that they're facing and change things. I can remember breaking up with a girl and and then my mother telling me, uh, yeah, I, I prayed that that relationship would break up. Oh, you did? Thanks a lot, Mom. You know, that's a <laughs> but she, would, she said, I, did, I knew that wasn't a good relationship for you. And, uh, you know, hey, God can handle this stuff. He can handle the sicknesses that we face. And he can use those sicknesses in a positive way. I was thinking of that when Elaine was singing. That song instantaneously takes me back a few years to a set of circumstances I was facing and I want you to know, God can work in times of sickness. And, and God can sustain us and do good things. But He is in charge with your family. Bring them to God in prayer. Intercede for them. Uh, David, even though he's being disciplined, God fixes the situation. Have you ever been outside of God's will? Have you ever known what God's will was and you've done the opposite? Every single one of us in this room has. Have you ever been disciplined by God? If you're a child of God, you have. But even in those times, God can even take our mistake. There's a verse somewhere in Romans 8, verse 28. God works all things together for good. Even the mistakes, even the sin. You don't believe God uses sin for good? What about Joseph? His brothers were going to kill him. Then they say, hey, we won't make any money if we do that. Let's sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery. The wicked thing. Fake his death, dip his, his garments in animal blood and take him to their dad and say, look, we think a, a wild animal got him. And his dad is grieving and broken hearted. God took that. That they meant for evil and used it for good. David is promoted. I'm excuse me. David. Joseph is promoted. <laughs> and he's the second in charge over all Egypt. And the famine comes that Joseph knows about and prepares for. And his family is saved. In the time of famine. Because of a wicked deed of his brothers. You know what Joseph said to his brothers when they found out who he was? They were terrified. He said, don't fear. 
You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want to tell you something. God can take the evil circumstances, the bad circumstances of your life, and use them for good. So trust him with your family. Um, Thirdly, we need to trust him with our finances. With our finances. Look at verse 18. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. Verse 19, all the plunder the Amalekites had taken, David got everything back. Matter of fact, not only did he get back what he had, God blessed him with more than he had. And he had this spoil and plunder that they'd also gotten from Judah and the other place. And and he says, look, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this to bless others around me. And so he gives some to the 200 that were by the brook, the Wadi Basor. Uh, He takes some and gives it to the leaders in Judah. But God has blessed him financially, has taken care of him. Um, Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust won't corrupt. Thieves won't break through or steal. For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. Um, And so we're encouraged as God's people to to be givers to others, to the church, uh, in the community. Uh, because as we give away, whether it's finances or whether it's our service or whatever it is, uh, we are laying up treasure in heaven. But hey, God's got us as far as our finances down here as well. He's in charge of that. You remember Job? Job lost everything he had. All of his possessions in one day, lost all of his kids. All of his kids died in one day in probably a tornado that hit their house. Uh, All of these things were happening in Job's life. And he says, naked I came into this world, naked I will depart. Uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And uh, But... Uh, Job struggles. He goes, finally, he gets sick too. He's sick and he's struggling. He's going through this terrible time. But God ends up, after the time of testing, restoring twice what Job had had, replenishing his family. Some of you said, I wouldn't want to all those kids. <laughs> but, uh, but Job was happy with him and God gave him a blessing. And, uh, and God just restored his life. He. I had a I had a uh, I had a family in my last church who who lost a daughter. She had uh, spinal meningitis, and she was I think nine years old when she died. And of course, they were brokenhearted. This had happened before I, I became their pastor, but they were telling about me telling me about it years later. And and God had given them a little girl named Jessica, uh, who came after their other daughter had died, and. And he said, Jessica kind of brought joy back into our household. God restored us uh, after our time of, of suffering. Listen, uh, I believe that God, everyone is in God's hands. Our families are in God's hands. Um, one scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Um, when, when a saint or a child goes to be with Jesus, he delights to receive them. But he also takes care of us. Trust him with your family. 
uh, David was completely at a loss in what to do with his family. Maybe you're at a loss in what to do with your family. Maybe it's not a physical issue like a sickness. Maybe it's, it's a discipline issue you're having with your kids. Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I, I'm at a loss. How do I help my kids grow through this? How do I get them past this situation? Or maybe it's, Lord, my kids have no desire for the things of God. How do I instill in them a desire for the things of God? I've done everything I know how to do. God, how do I deal with this? Taking those things to God in prayer. And saying, Lord, would you please come? It, it, David, David's whole situation changed when he made a decision to take his problem to Christ. He, took, he takes his problem to God, and God strengthens him, but God also begins to answer his prayer. Take those things to God. You know, there have been things that, in my parenting, that I really didn't know what to do. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. I didn't understand it. And God just had to kind of give me some direction in my life. And uh, sometimes keep your mouth shut. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that was one of the directions God gave me. I'm not, I'm not just making a joke. That really was what God told me to do uh, a few times in, in, in one of the situations. But I want you to know something. God can guide you in these circumstances in your life. David took this problem to God with his family, and God solves this problem for him and brings them back. So, um, trust him with your family, trust him with your family. I got back on the family, didn't I? Trust him with your finances. Maybe somebody's having family issues. Um, trust him with your finances. God is able to take care of you. When Sherry and I had, had gone, I was in the military, and I had applied to get out early, and we moved to Dallas uh, to go to school there. I was going to go to school there, and uh, I got a part-time job right away. God supplied a, a part-time music and, and youth position for me, but uh, it was a while before Sherry got a position, and it was tough. Financially, it was tough, and I remember... Um, we had put off paying our tithe. You know, I believe in tithing. And we put off pay, paying our tithe, and, and stuff started breaking down. It's like, every, I, said, I said, I think I'm getting disciplined here. I said, we're going to pay our tithe before we pay anything else. Sherry came to me one Sunday morning, and she said, uh, I've got enough money to pay the tithe or buy groceries, but I don't have money for both. What do you want to do? I said, let's pay the tithe, and we'll trust God. So we went to church that day, and I was, as I mentioned, I was a music and youth pastor at this church, and we'd been there, I don't know how many months we'd been there, but we'd been there a while. And um, that Sunday night, after the service, they said, uh, we normally do this for, for new staff members when they come, but we forgot to do it with you, so we're doing it tonight. And they said, come downstairs with us. We've got something for you. And on the counter were 16 bags of groceries. And my wife reminded me of this. There were also grocery cards inside the bags to buy groceries. I'm going to tell you something. God is able to supply your financial need. He's able. Um, 
George Mueller used to pray. He, he had a faith ministry. He would, he would live off of whatever people felt led to put in the box for his salary. I'll tell you, that's some faith, isn't it? <laughs> he said there'd be days where he didn't get much, and he'd be at the end of his resources, and he would just get down on his knees and begin to pray, God, I need some groceries. And he said time and time again, while he was praying, somebody would knock on the door. Brother George, I brought you some groceries. That's the God we serve. Trust him with your finances. So, we need to trust him with our security, with our family, with our finances, and finally with our position. Trust him with our position. Now, this is kind of interesting. David's men had never wanted to go back to Judah. I believe it's in chapter 23, he mentions the men said, hey, you know, what are we going to do? If we go back to Judah, Saul's trying to kill us, and, and you're wanting to go out and fight these other people, and what are we going to do? And they didn't want to follow God's will. At that time, David led them in following God's will, but perhaps in this situation, he has caved to pressure. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Many times, we're, we're put under pressure if you're in a position of leadership, or in a, not necessarily even leadership. You may be uh, put in a position to compromise at your workplace, and you've got a choice. Will I listen to men, or will I listen to God? Well, if I don't do this, my boss might fire me, right? Trust God with your position. David is about to be stoned. I'll tell you what, Now, not only is he about to lose his position, he's about to lose his life. Talk about mad. You know, it's one thing to lose your job, it's another thing to have your owner uh, take a 357 Magnum and point it at your head and say, I'm going to kill you. That's a whole different situation. David failed to trust God with his position, and he goes to Philistia, and now he's in danger of even losing his life. But he does a smart thing. He brings that to God. He says, Lord, you know, can I go? Can I do this? Will you give me victory? And God, in his grace, says, yes. And God restores David. But not only does he restore David, but he restores the respect of David's men. Now, people tend to give leaders credit and give themselves credit. David's men, they come back and, and the worthless in, in the group <laughs> say, Hey, we're not giving these 200 guys that stayed by the Wadi Basor, we're not giving them any of these spoils. Hey, they were back here sitting on their butts while we were doing the hard work. We're not giving them anything. David says, no. We're, we're going to give everybody part of the spoils. You see, David says, because God has delivered this into our hands. God has given us the victory. See, people tend to look at, at leaders and say, well, God, you know, hey, this, this leader's got all this this understanding and wisdom, maybe it's God blessed them. I believe that. I don't, I don't really believe there's any such thing as a self-made man. God has grace on us. God gives us gifts. God uses us. God brings people into our lives. God gives us resources. Uh, 
So uh, they are trusting in themselves, and they said, hey, look at what we did. <clears throat> Probably look at what David did. They're not talking about stoning him now. They're, David's popular. He's the big man. Uh, you look at what's happened here. But David says, no, you got it wrong. God did this. God did this. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> our position, that God gives David security by giving him this success and, and changing the hearts of people towards him. But ultimately, <clears throat> David recognizes that his position is from the Lord. And his, his security and all these other things we've talked about are from the Lord. And so he says, look, we're going to do the right thing. And here he becomes a picture of Christ. Because Jesus saves sinners. Some of you were saved in your childhood. You, you've worked for the Lord for many years. You've borne the work of the kingdom of God. Some of you were saved in early adulthood. You've borne some of the work of God as well. Others are saved on their deathbed. My grandfather was one of those. The thief on the cross was one of those. He looks over at Jesus. He says, Lord, will you remember me in your kingdom? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Somebody might say, well, God, they didn't do anything to serve you. Hey, what about all that work I did? Preparing for that Sunday school class or keeping the church grounds or uh, cooking dishes, whatever it might be. Look at all this stuff I've done for you, God. Why should he get in? He's done nothing. Jesus said, hey, I've done it for him. All to Jesus I owe. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life. Listen, I'll tell you something. There's none righteous, no, not one. Aren't you glad we serve a God of grace? I don't care whether you got a little sin or whether you got a lot of sin. In your own eyes, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And according to God's standard, all of us have sinned. Jesus said, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. So, we stand guilty. Were it not for the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all of us would split hell wide open. But Jesus extends grace. David is a picture of Jesus here. And I want to tell you something. Uh, he's also a picture of the security. When God's hand is upon your life and God is protecting you, your position is secure. I'm going to tell you something. There's somebody who's going to have a more secure position than David, and it's Jesus Christ. The Bible says one day he's coming back on the clouds of glory, and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth, and every knee will bow. And like the, serv like the uh, song says, and he shall reign. It comes out of the scripture. He shall reign forever and ever. Nobody will unseat Jesus from his position. He will be the eternal king. And, uh, and he and the Father will rule. Our position. Trust him with your position. <clears throat> I believe that if you lose your position because you're faithful to God, God will take care of you. My first pastorate, I, uh, <clears throat> I made one of the deacons mad. He was the chairman of the deacons. And he didn't like something I preached. 
So he had told me, I want you to quit preaching in this book. And I prayed about it. I didn't feel led to quit preaching in that book, so I continued to preach in that book. He got madder and madder and madder. And he was spitting and snotting and throwing his arms every which way and uh, making all kinds of fuss one night. And I remember I called my dad. I said, Lord, what am I going to do with this situation? <clears throat> he said, you trust God. He said, if they fire you, God will take care of you. You know what I found? God took care of me. I won't tell you the story. I wish I had time to tell you the story, but <clears throat> God will take care of you. You trust God. We're, I'm going to tell you something. We're getting in a situation in our culture where people are getting more and more anti-Christian. I want to tell you something. You stand for God. You trust God. You speak for God. Let the chips fall where they may. And let God take care of you. He, he's able to do it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I, I remember uh, <clears throat> hearing a, a fella from DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, for those of you who don't know, um, share this story. He was on the, the board of DTS. and It was early in their, their founding and he said, he said, look, he said, we're, we're struggling. We don't have enough finances to continue this on. <clears throat> Let's go to God in prayer. And he said, he heard one of the trustees praying. He said, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you send some of, us to, uh, some of them to us so that we can continue this seminary? day or two later, this man comes and he says, I want to make a donation to your school. And it was this great amount of money that he was going to donate. And he said, uh, he said I'm a cattleman. And he said, uh, God led me to sell off my cattle and bring the check to you. Can I tell you something? We serve a living God. He'll take care of you. Trust him. Trust him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that you have to take care of us. Help us trust you, God, in our lives more than we trust the resources of other people or the, the geographical area where we may live. Whatever it is, God, help us trust you. And Father, uh, when we are going through a difficult time, help us strengthen ourselves as David did in you. When we're going through a difficult time, Lord, help us seek your guidance and direction.